On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanne, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Then he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us as while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together, and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do your doubts rise in your minds? 
Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Thanks, Sean. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what it tells us about who your son is and what you've done through him and what is now possible in your world because of him. Amen. Uh, Well, let me add my welcome to that of David's before. My name is Jeffrey Lynn. I'm one of the staff here. It's great to have you with us here at our 7 p.m. Easter Sunday service. Whether you're a member of our church or a visitor or a guest, uh, we're delighted that you're with us for this evening. Uh, Can I ask you please to open a Bible to Luke 24? They're there in front of you. You'll need it in front of you because I'm going to spend a fair bit of time in that passage that's been read to us. Um, And can I also ask you please to take out the leaflet that you're given as you came in. You'll see on the inside that there is an outline of what I'm going to talk about. A couple of extra passages are printed there as well. Um, Like we do each Sunday at 7pm, we'll have a short Q&A after this. Uh, I'll finish the talk, we'll sing a song, and then um, we'll take a few questions from the floor. Uh, Boxy will run around with a microphone. So if you have questions you'd like to ask, just pop your hand up and we'll do that before we wrap up our service. Uh, Well, everyone loves a good TV mystery, you know, a thriller with twists and turns along the way that builds towards a memorable climax. It could be a standalone movie, or maybe it's an entire season that you binge in one go and hopefully doesn't finish with a terrible cliffhanger at the end. Uh, What we're doing today is we're coming to the end of a series. We're coming to the end of Luke's Gospel. You might say it's the season finale. And uh, we've been working our way through the previous 23 chapters of this book, verse by verse, for the last six months. Uh, And we come to the big finish tonight. Uh, It means that if you're just tuning in for the first time, then, uh, well, once again, welcome. Uh, But I do realise it's a bit tricky to come in at the very end of the story. What's more, there are no surprises here because we've already told you what's going to happen. We've been saying it ever since the service began. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Uh, But, despite all that, there's still plenty of mystery and intrigue to go around. And in fact, there's three things, you'll see them printed there on the handout, that I'd like to focus on. The first mystery, who moved the stone? Uh, Well, the first mystery is pretty obvious in some ways. Uh, In chapter 23, Jesus died. 
which means at the start of chapter 24, some of the faithful women, his disciples, they go to prepare his body for burial. The thing is that when they get there, look at verse 2 on page 1506. When they get there, verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now just pause for a moment. Uh, it's hardly a surprise really that when they discover that the stone has been rolled away from the tomb, it's hardly a surprise, their first reaction is not, oh, he must be risen from the dead. They don't think that. Actually, no one thinks that. In fact, verse 4, we're just told they're left wondering. And what's more, when, as verse 4 goes on, uh, two, men in, uh, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning appear beside them, well, what that does is that just renders them utterly speechless, completely terrified. Um, uh, verse 5, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. And we're going to discover later that uh, these beings, they're actually angels, otherworldly beings with immense power. But I suppose, well, it's hardly a surprise then that the accumulated terror and stress, the trauma and the grief of the last 48 hours since Jesus died, it gets to them. And it causes them to forget everything that might have comforted them in this moment. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Now, what we're being reminded is that this is not the first time that Jesus' disciples have heard about his resurrection. In fact, Jesus has predicted it three times previously. We're going to come back to that a little later. And yet, please don't be too harsh on the women. Look at verse 8. Luke records, Then they remembered his words. And their most natural response, verse 9, is to race back home and tell all these things to the eleven and to all the others. And that just leaves us wondering, well, will the men be as open-minded and as eager to share the good news? After all, the men are still at home in hiding. Peter, at least, well... Peter, who just three nights ago famously denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, at least, ventures out to the tomb to see for himself. Although, he's far from convinced. Look at verse 12. He went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Did Jesus actually rise from the dead? Well, so far, no one has actually seen him alive. And clearly, they don't believe based on previous reports. Which means that in many ways, at this point, Jesus' disciples are no different from us today. You might say that we stand in their shoes. Like them, we have heard something about Jesus, but we've not seen him with our own eyes. And given that uh, humankind's universal experience of life is that it always ends in death and we have a 100% mortality rate, it's going to take some pretty compelling evidence to persuade that there is even one exception to the rule. 
Perhaps, therefore, we're better off with a less extreme starting point, with a lesser mystery, and that's the one there, point one on your handout, well, who moved the stone? Who did move the stone away from the tomb? I've chosen that title because it's a reference to uh, Frank Morrison. Um, it's there on your handout. Frank Morrison, uh, the sceptic and atheist, who nearly 100 years ago set out to write a book exposing the lies all about the resurrection. Uh, chapter 1 of his book actually tells you what happened. Chapter 1 is called The Book That Refused to Be Written because as he conducted his investigation, his conclusion was that actually it was God who rolled the stone away. Uh, what I find particularly reassuring about Frank Morrison's experience is that it took him, did you know, it took him nearly 10 years to reach his conclusion? 10 years. And so I want to say to you, if you're here tonight as someone who's trying to work out who Jesus is, don't give up. If you're here tonight as a Christian who's been talking to one of your friends, longing for them to turn to Christ, don't give up either. Well, come back to our story. The disciples have been told that Jesus uh, would rise, but they've not seen him with their own eyes. So let's see what happens when they do and what mystery comes next. Point two there on your handout. Mystery number two, why can't his disciples understand? Uh, the second scene uh, comes in two stages. Uh, this is the part that Danielle read for us, verses 13 through 43. It uh, kicks off, verse 13, uh, the same day. Uh, and at this point, events start to move a bit faster. They, they kind of pick up speed. It's actually in two parts, this scene. In the first part, two of his disciples head off to Emmaus. Now, why, we're not told, are they running away? We don't know. But by dinner time, they've returned to Jerusalem, where in part two, they find the other disciples hiding out in a closed room. Now, in both parts, the key moment is when Jesus appears and is seen. Although, here's the mystery. The mystery is that his appearances don't lead to them recognising him or believing that is, seeing is not believing, at least not initially. Let me say something about each of the parts of this scene. Part one. Uh, part one, I think, is one of those great movie sequences. Uh, you know those movie sequences where we, the viewers, know more than the characters themselves understand? Uh, in fact, and I take it you heard this uh, as Emma, Emma, as Danielle read this, um, it, it's almost pure comedy. Uh, it, you're meant to chuckle with mirth as the passage unfolds. I mean, think about what happens. They're walking along, despondent about Jesus having been killed, and Jesus suddenly appears next to them. But verse 16, they're kept from recognising him. And so then what happens is that, secondly, Jesus somewhat innocently asks them what's going on. I, I think he probably says something like, you know, why the long faces? Why are you all so glum? At which point they pause and they very patiently explain to Jesus all about himself. Uh, probably, I think, with a slightly condescending tone. I mean, look at verse 18. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? It's as if they're saying, look, hey, are you like a country boy who doesn't know what took place in the big smoke in the week gone by? Or thirdly, 
In verses 25 and 27, Jesus then very patiently explains to them how the Bible actually foretold his death and his resurrection, but they still don't get it. Until fourthly and finally, they invite him into dinner, at which point Jesus finally stops tormenting them. Verse 31, over the page, verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognised him, except at this point, immediately he vanishes. Just like that. So the second part of this scene, uh, they get up and they return at once, verse 33, to Jerusalem. Now, do you remember we were told at the start how far away Emmaus is from Jerusalem? It's seven miles, over ten kilometres. And it's after dinner time, so it's getting dark by now. I presume, therefore, that they ran most of the way back to Jerusalem. Actually, probably what they did was they ran and then they walked a bit as they caught their breath and they started running in and then they walked a bit to catch their breath and the whole time they're talking at each other. Can you believe what's just happened? I picture them finally getting to Jerusalem. They race to the secret hideout where the disciples are. They bang on the door, let us in, let us in. Only discover, verse 34, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Now, don't you hate it when someone steals your punchline, particularly after you've run seven miles just to tell them? And I imagine at this point then what happens is that everyone is talking over the top of each other. No one gets to finish their sentence. They're all trying to share their news until suddenly, out of nowhere, verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them. And what does he say to them? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, I've been thinking about it this week. I reckon the reason why Jesus went for such a sedate greeting, peace be with you, is because Jesus appearing and going, ta-da, here I am, would probably just freak them out. In fact, look at verse 37. They are startled and frightened enough. Because, despite everything they have heard so far, Despite the reports from the travellers, from the women at the tomb, from Jesus' three predictions, despite the fact that Jesus is right there with them, still, they don't believe. In fact, their theory is that what's there is not Jesus, but it's a ghost. And so Jesus has to help them out. Verse 39, Jesus says, Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Now, this is pretty ghoulish. This is pretty macabre, if you think about it. Jesus shows them the scars where the nails went through his hands and his feet. That's pretty gruesome. And, I mean, I don't know if you're squeamish, he then invites them to stick their fingers in the holes just to prove that it's really him. Before what, comes, uh, before what comes next, which feels to me like the most mundane of anticlimaxes, verse 41, Jesus asks, do you have anything here to eat? Uh, don't you love Luke's attentions to details? You know, um, uh, verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Wouldn't you love to know what kind of style of cooking that is? Well, here's the big mystery. Why can't his disciples understand? 
They've heard all the reports about the fact that he would rise. They've seen him right there in front of him. What's more, come back to verse 25 with me. Verse 25, back on page 1507. Uh, Jesus says that the scriptures themselves had given enough evidence to prepare them for his resurrection. Look at verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, in case you're wondering, where it talks about Moses and the prophets, that's basically a shorthand way of describing what we today call the Old Testament, basically the Bible that they had at their time. Unfortunately, Luke doesn't record the references. Wouldn't that have been handy? All the references in the Old Testament that point to Jesus' suffering, death and resurrection. Having said that, two that I suspect he probably referred to are listed here on your handout. Um, One, I think, is from Isaiah 53. This is from some 600 years before Jesus. Uh, This talks all about the Messiah's suffering and his death. And I suspect one of the others would have been Psalm 16. Again, printed there on your handout. This is from 1,000 years BC, from King David, where he talks about the Messiah entering eternal glory. Now, just as an aside... Can you imagine being in that Bible study with Jesus as the Bible study leader? Can you imagine how great that would have been? And yet here's the thing. Even with Jesus doing the teaching, his disciples still don't get it. So once again, why? Why don't they understand? Why are they kept from recognising him? Why does he keep stringing them along? Now, I've got to say, I don't actually know. But what I do know is that their blindness is temporary. It's not permanent. Turn over to page, uh, to verse 45. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. What we're being told is that somehow, in some way, We all need God's explicit help if we're to make sense of our world and of his word. In somehow, in some way, we need God's explicit help if we're to make sense of our world and of his word. Now, here's the really good news. Thankfully, he promises to give that help to anyone who asks. I can say that with 100% confidence Because if Jesus went to all that effort of laying down his life for us, we can be pretty certain that he's not going to turn his back on us now. Well, let me just step back for a moment and make two very brief comments about the importance of the Bible. The importance of the Bible. Uh, The first is that by saying his resurrection was a fulfilment of the scriptures... Jesus is saying even more than the fact that his resurrection shouldn't have been a surprise. What Jesus is saying is that no more proof is needed. Scripture is sufficient. The Bible is enough for us. It contains everything we need to make sense of our lives and of our world. 
as I said before, seeing is not always believing because God speaks to us through his word. Uh, And that's the reason why we here at Trinity are constantly encouraging you to read your Bible for yourself, to see for yourself, to make up your own mind. Uh, We're in the last chapter of Luke. Um, If you'd like to hear what the rest of the story is about afterwards as you leave, please, we'd love for you to take a copy of Luke's entire account. It's been reprinted in this little booklet here, uh, all 24 chapters. If you'd like to hear the rest of the story, please take a copy home with you today and uh, come back and ask us if you'd like any help in trying to work out what it means. Here's the second thing that I want to say about the Bible. What I think Jesus is reminding us in Luke 24 is that the word of God is even more significant than our feelings and our experience. The word of God is even more significant than our feelings and experience, uh, both of which can be so variable and so unpredictable. Now, why do I say that? Come with me to the really fascinating comment in verse 41, which we skipped over. Verse 41. Uh, Pick it up, verse 40. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. Now, once again, I'm not entirely sure what that means. But I think what Luke is saying is that the disciples' elation was so great that they're actually unable to process, they're unable to comprehend what was going on. Uh, Maybe this is where that saying, it's too good to be true, literally comes from. Well, if I could put it slightly differently, uh, all day today we've been saying we rejoice in Jesus' resurrection. We rejoice in the fact that our Lord has conquered the grave and that death has been defeated. And that's a good and right thing for us to say. It's entirely appropriate. That's the reason why we started our service, by singing, Jesus Christ has risen today. Hallelujah. Rejoice. Praise God. But that's not where Luke is taking us. So what Luke is about to say is that Easter is about more than just celebrating the good news. Above all, Easter is about sharing the good news. And so, come back to the story then, the closing scene, one last time, the final mystery. Here it is, it's there, point three on your handout on the right-hand side. Now that his disciples do believe that he's alive, he's with them right now, will they do what he tells them to do? Will they do what he tells them to do? Well, in this last section, Jesus takes them through one last Bible class. Um, Once again, don't you wish that you had been there? Or at least, don't you wish that Jesus had been rostered on to preach today? That would have been great, wouldn't it? But do you notice what's different this time compared to the Emmaus Road? compared to what the angel said to the woman at the tomb, compared even to the three previous predictions that Jesus had made about his death. Do you notice what's different? Well, have a look with me. Uh, I've printed actually all of those passages there on the right. Just look at the last one. This is from Luke 24. This time, it's in bold. Jesus doesn't just talk about his resurrection. He talks about what it means for us, what difference it makes. Pick it up there in verse 46, bottom right-hand side. Jesus told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. 
and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Here's what Jesus says. He says to his disciples that they are to be witnesses to two things, actually. One, they are witnesses to the historical fact of his death and resurrection. But two, they are witnesses to his incredible offer of the forgiveness of sins. And actually, his logic there seems pretty straightforward. Jesus is saying that, one, his resurrection from the dead is what gives credibility to his equally remarkable claim that, two, he can offer the forgiveness of sins. Well, two implications then for us as we conclude. Firstly, did you notice that the resurrected Jesus doesn't say to preach life in his name? Look at it there again. Verse 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. He doesn't say to preach life in his name, which of course would have made sense. He's just been raised from the dead himself. No, he says to preach the forgiveness of sins in his name. So according to Jesus, the reason he suffered, died and rose again was so the forgiveness of sins could be preached to all the nations of the earth so that people everywhere throughout time and space can repent. And friends, this is what we celebrate and rejoice over at Easter Sunday. Because of his death and resurrection, we can admit our sins and own up to our failings and our mistakes and our misdemeanours and our transgressions. Because of his death and resurrection, you don't have to cover up your sins anymore or keep running away from the consequences or fantasise about turning back time and having a do-over. Because of his death and resurrection, then like people have for 2,000 years from every nation on earth, you can find and receive and experience the full forgiveness of all your sins. That's the reason why, in just a moment, we're going to sing no fear in death, but no guilt in life. This is the power of Christ in me. And you might be sitting there thinking tonight, well, that's all nice and well, but that's just not possible. The forgiveness of sins, that's nice and well, that's all good, but it's just not possible. You might be thinking, I know what I've done, and I feel the consequences of my actions every day. What I'm saying to you tonight is that it is possible. And in fact, the whole reason you can believe it is not because I'm saying it's possible, but because Jesus has risen from the dead. Do you know that's the reason why your Christian friend who invited you keeps talking to you about it? That's why they keep talking to you about Jesus. Because they want you to have this wonderful relief and assurance for yourself 
because they've already received it. I'd love to invite you to come along to one of our Explore courses. Uh, we'll be starting one in May. These are short courses that run for four weeks, give you a chance to ask any question that you have about Jesus, look at some answers that you might work out who he is and what difference he makes. Here's the second another thing that I want to say as we conclude. And at this point I want to talk to those who are disciples of Christ, to the members of this church. This is what Jesus will have you do with his life. He has risen. He has entered his glory at the Father's side, which leaves us on earth as witnesses of these things. In fact, did you notice how verse 48 expressed it? Have a look with me one last time. Verse 48. Verse 48. Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. He doesn't say you must be witnesses. He simply says you are witnesses. And the sense is, well, because you are one, then get on and live like one. Uh, can I say, I know how much we try to do each week, how much we try to fit in to every week that we have. Uh, we go to work or study, we try and spend time with friends, we catch up on life admin, we treasure our long weekends. We try to do so much each week, but according to Jesus, this is who we are every day of our lives. We are witnesses to Christ's death and resurrection and the forgiveness of sins in his name that is available to all the nations of the earth. And that means that whether you're just starting out in life or cruising along in middle age or even if you're on the final stretch and a homeward bound it's never too late to speak up or to put it slightly differently you cannot be a witness if you do not bear witness what's wonderful is that when we are witnesses that's when we find meaning and purpose and real and lasting joy in our lives. Let me put it this way. I, for one, cannot think of any subject I would rather talk about this weekend than the forgiveness of sins. There's nothing I would rather talk about. I, mean, I never want to talk about COVID again. Well, Back to that final mystery. Did his disciples do what he told them to do? Did they go to all the nations and preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Well, here's the funny thing. Uh, Luke's book actually finishes at this point on a cliffhanger. It's pretty annoying, isn't it? Uh, it finishes, interestingly, with them back at the temple, still in Jerusalem. Don't worry. Uh, the sequel, season two is in Acts chapter 1, which is where we're going to start off next week. So come back and join us then. Uh, but actually, I can answer the mystery. I can solve the mystery for us. Uh, this is with the benefit of hindsight. You see, for 2,000 years, disciples of Jesus have been faithful witnesses. And that's not going to change on our watch.
Because this is who Jesus says we are. And this is how we're to live our lives. Starting today, continuing tomorrow, and every day until he returns or calls us home, here in the love of Christ we stand. Let me lead us in prayer. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls us home. Here in the love of Christ we stand.